Welcome to this episode of the Outfront Podcast with host Vince Noble, the podcast that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. For sponsorship and advertisement opportunities, please contact info at nobleresolutions.com. And now, your host, Vince Noble. I want to acknowledge each and every one of you who is stepping into your authentic power today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Outfront Podcast, a show that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. I am your host, Vance Noble. Hey, I am super excited on today. And once again, we have a very exciting episode. We have the distinct pleasure of having with us on today, Miss Angelica N- Norton. She's an author, speaker, and CEO of the 30 Day University. As always, before we get started uh, with these extraordinary conversations, I want to say as much as I love how intellectually stimulating they are, they are meant to do far more than peak our intellect. They are meant to drive us into meaningful action. So as you listen, our guests are not solely on this show to promote themselves, their services, or products. However, in large part, to provide significant insights and actionable steps to engage you thereby helping to shift you from one level to the next. So I encourage you to listen and to think about how you may make a difference. No matter who you are, it is my greatest hope that you find tremendous value in today's episode. In today's episode, we'll be talking one-on-one with Angelique about the exciting opportunities at 30 Day University, her latest book, Divorcing Poverty, and so much more. We have a lot to uncover in this episode, so let's go. Angelica, welcome to the show today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Hey, good morning. It is truly indeed a pleasure um, to have you on today, and I'm sure we're going to have some exciting discussions on today. I'm excited. I'm ready. (laughs) Yes. So, Angelica, for those who may not know you or all of what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself, your early life influences growing up and what has brought you to the work that you so passionately do today? Okay, well, really quick. I grew up in the housing projects in Tampa, Florida, born second oldest to seven children to an uneducated mom. I saw a lot growing up in the hood, <laughs> saw a lot growing up in the hood. Um, and just like any other kid, I lived a pretty normal life. Um, I enjoyed being a kid, had a lot of 
friends, played outside, did all the things that kids do. I didn't really realize that I was, we were poor until I hit middle school. Middle school is where things got a little bit more complicated when it came to social economic status. Um, and it may be because at the adolescent age, when you're trying to, you know, discover who you are and everything else, you start to pay deeper attention to your environment and things that are around you. So long story short, I became a teen mom early. And then by, I had my third child by the time I was 20. And then I dropped out of school, of course, to become a mom my senior year. So things were crazy. Pretty much, I fell into the the typical, I don't know, um, pit of my environment. Let's just call mm-hmm. it that, pit of my environment. And as I looked around, I was just like, okay, so now this is my future. This, this, this is my life. There's no way getting out. And although I had plans of getting out, I didn't know anyone who had escaped poverty. Um, there was no one around me who was an entrepreneur. I mean, my mom raised us in church, so that gave me hope, of course, you know, just knowing my Lord and Savior. But it still didn't put food on the table. It didn't stop from being bullied at school. You know, it didn't stop the tears from falling and from me asking the tough questions. So by the age of 21, 22, I was already on Section 8 um, because my life was planned out. And if you read my book, Divorce and Poverty, it kind of outlines the story. Um, And the way I describe it is that I was married to poverty. Mm. It was an arranged marriage. Mm. It was an arranged marriage. It was already set up for me. There was no way of escaping it. You know, I just had to accept it. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was 21, 22, I'm on Section 8. I'm trying to figure life out. But yet something continues to nudge at me and just say, it's not enough. You know, this is not your life. And although I had no one to talk to about this nudging, about this desire of wanting more because everyone just thought you're crazy to give up your section eight. You're crazy. If you're going to go and pay um, the full amount for rent and just try and do it on your own with the three kids. So there was a lot of negative speaking around me. And I don't blame these people. So don't get me wrong because it was all that we knew. You know, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. it was what we we all knew, you know, and it was like your security blanket. It was it was um, a guarantee that you'll have, you know, a roof over your head to care for your children. But I soon realized that if I wanted more, that I would have to go after more. And that meant answering that nudge that just would not leave me alone. So I finally answered it. And when I did answer it, it required that after three years on Section 8, I went to my caseworker and I was just like, um, I'm discontinuing my Section 8. And she was just like, what do you mean? And I was just like, there's more out there for me and I just have to go 
and find out what what's out there for me. And she was just looking at me with this look like, are you insane? <laughs> and, you know, so immediately at the end of my lease, uh, my Section 8 was not renewed. And I moved forward in entrepreneurship. I started my first in residential home cleaning service. And a friend of mine ran a cleaning service and she had commercial contracts and she brought me in to assist her on a project. And she pretty much showed me the basic ropes, but keep in mind it was for commercial, but I was just like, okay, but I want to do residential because you need a team for commercial. And I wasn't quite ready. So I started my business with just business cards and a flyer. And I'm 25, 26 years of age. And I would go out on the weekends and put flyers on cars in the parking lots of grocery stores. This was all before social media in the 90s. And I was, you know, I would leave my business cards at gas stations. I would just, you know, find ways to promote and market my business to attract business. And before long, my business began to pick up. Um, I was now off Section 8. I had a successful cleaning business. And me and my three children were thriving. And life was just seeming a little bit better than before. (laughs) It wasn't quite where I needed it to be, but it wasn't where it used to be. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much how it all began. All right, How it wonderful. all began. That's wonderful. I, I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit as we talk a little bit more about um, the book, um, Divorcing Poverty. Um, but, but you know, more specifically, how was it, um, you know, to sort of, you know, break that pattern or that cycle um, of learned behaviors? How, the, how did the people respond to you? at the time when you were sort of making that mental or that mindset transition, if you will, that would require you to take on sort of the mindset that you recognize as being an entrepreneur. How did the people around you kind of respond to that? First and foremost, they were afraid for me. Mm -hmm. They were afraid for my children. They were afraid that I would end up homeless They were afraid that I did not make the best choice and the best decision as a mother and as a provider. And I had to realize that their fear was out of love, not out of doubt. They had not even addressed if I could do it. They were only addressing the fear of the unknown. They had not even brought themselves to a place to question if I had the innate ability of achieving the goal that I set out for myself. And no one even inquired what that goal was, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was really hard to get people to understand because they weren't asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. So they were asking me pretty much, the repetitive questions like why, you know, how are you going to do this? And, you know, what about your children? And they thought they were asking me the right questions, but those Mm. weren't the right questions. The right questions was what's the plan? What's the goal? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it that you, you, you plan to achieve? What is it that you're seeking? 
you know, and what are the action steps are you taking to ensure that this would happen? But again, when you're set in a certain mindset, you know, fear is the cousin of poverty. A, a lot of people remain stagnant and complacent out of fear, mm-hmm. out of fear. Mm-hmm. But the only way that I can share this after interview, after interview, after interview that I have done is that God removed the fear from me because mm-hmm. that's the only way that I could describe it. Like it was a supernatural um what I want to call it, surgery, (laughs) Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. he had to go in and remove the implant Mm -hmm. and replace it with courage. Yes. And that courage allowed me to never look back. And I have not looked back. Mm -hmm. It's sort of being empowered, if you will, uh, with having a renewed mindset, if you will. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and being um, uh, willing to go through the transformation process, which is not always easy. It's not. Um, <laughs> and, and one of the things, it's interesting you say that, because one of the things I often say is that, you know, I recognize in my own personal life, uh, as well as trying to discover what I refer to as the missing pieces of the puzzles to my own personal life. We all often discover uh, that our worst enemies at times could be not only ourselves, but the ones who are closest to us. Absolutely. Because in their mind, they are saving us from ourselves <laughs> in many ways, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're, they, they really believe they're saving us from ourselves. But as we go through this process of of sort of reconditioning the way we think or been brought up to think and start to break patterns, it's it's often the most difficult with the ones who are closest to us that can be the most discouraging at times uh, to overcome. But thanks for sharing that with us. So Angelique, I have to ask, um, you know, how how are you doing, doing what I refer to as this, this mental marathon, you know, uh, this pandemic, you know, a year ago, you know, looking back, you know, none of us would, could have imagined we would be, uh, you know, 11, 12 months uh, into um, a pandemic. So I have to ask, how are you doing physically, spiritually, mentally, and and more specific, how are you dealing with it? I'm actually doing great. Um, Just a quick uh, overview of why I'm doing so well. 2018, I fell sick and um, we just I was hospitalized a few times and I was having complications with my heart where um, every time I would go to the hospital, there was something with a mild heart attack. We really could not figure it out. So fast forward to 2019, February 2019, I go to a hematologist and I discovered that I have a rare blood cancer. So, and we discovered that through bone marrow. So I spent most of 2019 on chemo. So I was just praying all of 2019 and just like, Lord, you know, I'm going to accept my faith. And if you strengthen my body and put your hands on my body, Lord, you know, I'm coming back 2020 strong. I'm not going to allow, you know, the circumstances to stop my purpose. 
So I was all geared up and ready to come back for mm-hmm. 2020. And then the pandemic hit. Right. I ended up contracting COVID um, because I was fresh off of chemo. Mm-hmm. So that was a six month nightmare. Mm-hmm. I, I have never been so sick um, in my existence. I think that COVID was worse than the experience with blood cancer. Upper respiratory infection, couldn't breathe, acute bronchitis. I had never used an inhaler, Bruterol, a day in my life, and I needed it for survival at this point. Mm-hmm. I It was a cough that I cannot explain that actually stripped my vocal cords to where my throat was so swollen you could not see my tonsils. And I had no voice. It was sort of like, Almost like mm-hmm. a light whisper. Mm-hmm. So and it took six weeks to clear the phlegm out of my lungs. Mm-hmm. And now we're at the end of March and I'm like, okay, Lord, business coaching is not thriving right now. People are really, really focused on this pandemic. And, you know, we none of us know what to expect. And now we're going into quarantine and lockdown. And I'm just like, how am I going to support myself? I've been gone almost two years and my my funds are depleted. You know, I'm just like, I've right, done all right. I can do and medication, everything else. And he spoke just as clearly to me. He said, begin writing. So as soon as I put the marketing material out and promoted myself as a ghostwriter, I have never been without three to four authors since the pandemic. Hmm. So, I mean, it has, I mean, listen, when you, when you really have a relationship with Christ, he will, he will not leave you blind. So basically, I mean, just ghostwriting and I'm just thinking, okay, ghostwriting. As soon as I put it out, Vincent, it was just like, I've been trying to write my book for years. I have a, uh, a started manuscript, but I have not completed it. So I was just like, okay, the pricing, because I want to be um, compassionate and I want to be understanding because we are all in this together. Th- this right. pandemic put us all on the same playing field. I, didn't, I don't care who you are. We were all at the mercy of COVID-19. And we all needed each other, like, you know, the best that we could do. So I was just like pandemic pricing and God gave me eight weeks, eight chapters, $800. Hmm. So by the end of this month, I would have written for almost 20 authors for 2020. That's wonderful. And then in October, God laid on my heart. He was like, you always wanted a publishing company. So launched a publishing company. So as soon as I launched the publishing side of it and I got, you know, beautiful books registered and it's named after my daughter. I have one daughter and I always call her beautiful. So um, because growing up in the housing projects, you know, there were I had a lot of esteem issues. You know, um, you weren't told that you're pretty. You know, my mom, you know, not blaming my mom, but she was this passive, you know, she didn't have very much confidence, you know, and it was it was sort of passed down. And I was just like, I'm going to do something different with my daughter. I'm going to learn to build her up, um, not only just for her physical attributes, but um, 
teaching her and building her to to know who she is from the inside out. So uh, I titled it Beautiful Books Publishing. And every time I would write for an author, they were being, either they were being scammed by people who said they were editors who took their money and did not complete the project or graphic designers who just gave them low level work with um, professional advanced skill prices. And they were just getting taken. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to launch the publishing company. So now everything is in-house. I was able to bring on freelance editors, graphic designers, photographers, website um, designers, because we offer three packages. So um, depending on what your needs are, I went to Bowker and purchased, you know, bundles of ISBNs for the publishing company. And mm-hmm. here I am. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Let me ask you this. Why why do you think a preponderance of individuals during difficult times uh, see no opportunities or little opportunity, and then there are some um, that will seize opportunities? Why, Why do you think that's the case? I still believe it's the mindset, the renewing of the mind. And I believe fear is still the biggest factor if not the the only factor. I don't have fear when it comes to this arena of business and opportunity. There's no fear. There is absolutely no fear. Once I put my mind to it, I just step out and I go. And the rest is history. So with that, that without having the level of fear, it has been replaced with faith. Mm-hmm. So there's no ambiguity when it comes to me. I'm not worried about the uncertain of what's ahead or because I I can't control that, but I can control believing in myself and faith without works is dead and having the faith to move forward. So I believe that is what hinder people Mm -hmm. and at times blind others from opportunity. And again, when it comes to fear, I don't blame people for having fear. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful to God that he removed the fear um, from me. I didn't even request it. Mm-hmm. Or then again, I often question, did I ever have it? Right. Did I, did I ever possess that level of fear? Mm-hmm. You know, because even in my middle school, we would be bused out of the housing projects to these all white schools at a far distance away from our home. And I was always the first black cheerleader on a team. We couldn't, my, my family couldn't afford for me to go to camp and all of these things, but it didn't stop me from trying out. Mm-hmm. My mom would sit back and go, what are you doing? And I'm just like, why not do it? You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> I've always had this level of boldness yeah. that said, you-, you know, I have what it takes. Right. Would you also say that, to a degree, is having a, a a certain level of intimacy with failure. In other words, not viewing failure as a, a in all, if you will. Right. Absolutely. I, but I've but never opportunity been asked to, that. Le- to learn. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a geniusly um, positioned question. But I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Um, I saw failure all around me. And Mm -hmm. for me, it was just like, what do I have to lose? Mm 
versus what do I have to gain? And, and, and some and of that is what you discovered. Is, yes, yes. And some of that is what you discovered, I, I guess, in failure as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the learning. Failure yes. was all around me. It was all around me. I, I knew I my cousin lived right in the housing projects with us, adjacent from our apartment. Um, and he took a gun, shot himself in the head. Hmm. Um, I saw this is at the height of crack cocaine. So mm-hmm. in the eighties, crack cocaine was all around us. The kids, the young men I went to school with, they all sold drugs. You know, I, I knew what crack cocaine looked like. I knew what marijuana looked like. And again, I never got involved with these things. Right. So I still I still say to this day, it was the hand of God on my life because my life could have played out anyway. Absolutely. And could have gone any direction, could have been in prison, could have, you know, dated a drug, a guy who was into the, you know, the street pharmaceuticals and, you know, taking me on a different path. But again, my mom made sure that we were raised in church that we knew who God was. And, you know, they say, the Bible say, when you raise a child the way they should go, you know, um, they would not go astray. So I ended up, you know, coming back and just saying, Lord, like, I don't know where else to go. I have to come to you. There's this nudging. There's this thing that just keeps telling me that there's greater for me, that there's more for me. And, I would come across these people who would speak life into me. They would just say, there's something about you, young lady. You know, there's something about you. And just to give you a little example, when I went back, I'm already a successful entrepreneur. I am a professional facilitator and trainer. When we hit the first recession under um, President Obama in Everyone was questioning in the middle class. The middle class was crashing. Again, that courage. I stepped out and I said, I know poverty. I know the dynamics of poverty. Hmm. I stepped out as a speaker. And I was just like, I'm going to educate people on poverty and what it looks like. And how you break the chains of poverty and the dynamics of poverty. And how you serve those who are experiencing it. Right. I started hosting my own Lunch and Learns to educate people. And there happened to be this, this senior training specialist for the Juvenile Welfare Board, which is one of the largest nonprofits, um, funding nonprofits in um, Central Florida. And she came to me afterwards and she was just like, we want to hire you to write a curriculum on understanding youth and families in poverty. First of all, I had never written a curriculum, but I had learned that you never walk away from a challenge. Absolutely. You, you, I learned that. So again, that's that lack of fear and that faith because I, I have no other way to explain it. And I said, sure, I would love to. So here I am hosting Lunch and Learns you know, at my local YMCA in a multi-purpose room, sending them, blasting them out to social scene, social service arenas and making a name for myself in the community. 
um, a woman and a person who's up against the fight of poverty and helping people understand the dynamics of it, written up in the local newspapers, publicated on blogs and different things of that nature. And here's my name just spinning. This little girl from the housing projects, (laughs) you know, and now I'm the top sought out speaker on poverty. Yes. So, so Angelica, um, so getting back to much of what you said, what are some key things that make you, you, if you will, that sort of separate you from everyone else? So, you know, sort of, you know, what are those strengths and gifts that you talked about more specifically um, that show up, which cause you to strive every day? You know, oftentimes, again, as you said, in our childhood, they are, you know, indicators that often manifest, which will direct or predict in a sense what we are inclined to be or do. So, so again, what are those key things that you think stand out the most that make you, you? I learned to define myself early in my journey, in my 20s, because I learned that if you do not define yourself, that people will do it for you. Mm-hmm. I am definitely courageous. Mm. I do not ask for permission. I give myself permission. That's wonderful. Obviously resilient. I Mm. have been through so many things. I've experienced so many things in life that could have killed me, should have um, destroyed me. But I found a way to bounce back. And there's, uh, you have to find the opportunity in resiliency. Mm-hmm. in order to accomplish that. And that's not always easy. So for instance, when I was homeless and my contracts with here in Tampa, Florida, Hillsborough County schools, um, my contracts, I would go in and use the curriculum to work with at-risk youth and low performing schools and residential programs. And my contracts started to fall through. We were just getting a new governor, Governor Scott, at the time, and he was cutting a lot of funding for uh, at-risk teens, and they were focusing more on the younger ages. So I found myself like with nowhere to go with three teenagers, and I'm just like, wow, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? But I believe that There is beauty in ashes because the Bible tells us God to give us beauty for our ashes. Um, So whenever there's ashes, I still see opportunity. And I'm homeless at this time. And my youngest is graduating high school in 2011. And I'm sending him off to Bethune-Cookman College. So I'm the first in my family to graduate all three of my children Mm -hmm. and send them to higher education. And it had never been done. Mind you, I'm, I was a high school dropout. So um, I'm, I'm also, I would say, being able to position yourself to win. Mm-hmm. Positioning is so important that people tend to overlook it. Sometimes you have to be still and remain steadfast and unmovable. And then sometimes you have to run like your life depends on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it requires that you know or you identify where to position yourself to win and to receive new opportunities. Absolutely. So I would say I would say doing this also to that point, 
um, you know, a great deal of individuals are forced to sort of pivot, if you will, or learn to pivot during this pandemic, and they are forced to sort of, you know, reinvent or rebrand themselves in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- what are some principles and approaches you can recommend that will help individuals sort of set well through these difficult times? Awesome. Especially for entrepreneurs, small business owners, you spoke about rebranding. Absolutely. Again, it's about that positioning. You have to know when to shift and when to adjust. And 2020 was a year of readjusting. It was definitely a time to shift. If you are in the same place you were when we came in and said, happy new year, you need to quickly, quickly Look deep inside your business and your operation to figure out where it is that you need to be and get there ASAP, ASAP. And the the way that you do that, a lot of people have to first understand what rebranding is. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to change my logo. Um, I'm going to add a service or two and, you know, and change my colors and just kind of, you know, give myself a makeover. Mm-hmm. And that's not what rebranding is about. Rebranding is about repositioning yourself, um, going in a new direction. It's about your mission may have changed. And as far as this pandemic go, all of our missions should have changed. Our visions should have changed. Mm -hmm. So that means we all should be repositioned at this time. Just like for me, I was not a ghostwriter. I was a business coach. Right. I go by my stage name for speaking, facilitating, and training at CISO and Sister. So I was, I had contracts with Juvenile Welfare Board, Child Care Coordinated Services, where I go in and I do their extended learning um, training time uh, services. And that was quarterly. And then I'm being asked to speak at, you know, the foster home care conferences and, you know, uh, at-risk youth conferences. So that's where the bulk of my income derived from. So now I'm finding myself, we cannot have any social contact anymore. Mm -hmm. Everything now has been shut down. So now it's time for a shift. And for you, for a lot of people, mine is God, you know, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know who it is that you talk to. Is it uh, whatever your higher spirit is or your mentor or your meditation practices, but you have to get in that silent place where you ask the right questions. Absolutely. You have to ask the right questions. I'm so big on questions because in order, when, when you want the correct answers, you have to go in search of the right questions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't want to ask ourselves the tough questions because sometimes we don't like the answers and what how they may sound. So a lot of people don't say things to themselves because they don't like how they sound. I'm the total opposite. Mm-hmm. I'll say, and uh, everyone calls me Angie. I'll say, Angie, this man does not want you. Mm-hmm. You are wasting your time here. He has no plans for you. Get up and go. I tell myself <laughs> the truth. <laughs> right. I'm like, this is not working for you. Yeah. You've you've done this before. You've been here before. How much more time are you going to waste? I so to myself like that. Right. I honestly so, so it's, it's holding yourself accountable as well, right? And not only Absolutely. not not only do I think it's important to have uh, accountability people around us as well, but but it's good to 
to, to begin to hold ourselves accountable as well in that fashion to that point. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of individuals, they reject accountability because, you know, accountability in a way represent a personal attack to them. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. you know, you, you have to understand that from a psychological perspective, sometimes accountability can seem like a personal attack. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And yet again, that's one thing I've never had a problem with doing right. <laughs> at all. My raising my children and when they became teenagers, we lived by in my household. If you saw me do it, you can do it. Right. That's how serious I am about holding myself accountable. Right. So if I abused, uh, was uh, alcohol, if I abused um, drugs, if you saw me partying all night, if you saw me um, being disrespectful towards myself, my body and others, I told them, whatever you see me do, you are allowed to do. It wasn't a situation of what many of us grow up in an environment of do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> right. right? You know and, and the truth, and that's why you find so many young adults in a state of rebellion or rejecting any sort of authority figure because it's, um, at least in their mind, from what they have experienced or their level of conditioning is, it's sort of a hypocrisy because it's been a lot of, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Absolutely. 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 I believe in practicing what I preach. I believe in myself. I believe that holding myself accountable makes me a better person and it makes everybody around me better. I have two sons. My family was used to seeing our young, our children going, you know, penetrating the system. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. I never visited either of them, either of my children in jails or, and I'm, I was working with the diversity program and working alongside juvenile judges. Mm -hmm. Again, that, that blew my mind away that I'm walking into cha judges chambers discussing at-risk youth and the dynamics of poverty with juvenile judges. Mm -hmm. And then I was called in to, again, develop a pilot mm -hmm. for children who were charged with a phrase in schools or um, misdemeanors, petty theft. So I designed a six to eight week um, curriculum, and it was a pilot that would just allow them to go through my program, and it served as their community service hours. So it was a character development and asset building uh, pilot for young at-risk youth. So again, when you position yourself and you align yourself with your own personal walk, you then start to attract these things in your life. So people were looking to me to develop and design things that's based on accountability and responsibility. Right. And it was such an honor to participate in a lot of those um, opportunities that I didn't even ask for. They kind of, they came looking for me. Mm -hmm. I became like the advocate for poverty and at-risk youth. 
which I didn't mind because I knew the dynamics from growing up in it. And I knew what the children needed to hear. Yeah. I I think that's key, at least from a a policy perspective is, is be willing to inject um, the right level of conversation and, and to make sure you understand, as you said, the dynamics of that and, and help shape policy. I think that's that's a a phenomenal position to be in uh, when you can inject in the dialogue um, their result into helping shape policy. Uh, that's wonderful. Absolutely. So, Angelica, yeah. So, Angelica, talk to us about, you know, the 30-day university. What was your key, you know, was driving force of inspiration that, you know, sort of led you to the path of of entering that online educational training domain? And, and more specifically, what did you seek to accomplish? Again, the pandemic, repositioning mm-hmm. myself. As a business coach, people really weren't breaking down my door to develop an online course or to, you know, to develop digital products like ebooks, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. planners, workbooks. And I was just like, what? What can I do? Because there are so many entrepreneurs, if major corporations and business and retail chains are closing their doors, mm-hmm. the little entrepreneurs, of course, we don't stand a chance. How? Are, what are we going to do? You know, how can I assist? Again, it's about asking yourself the right questions. And when I ask myself the right questions, it's never about me. It's never about Angelica. It's about the people. It's about the individuals that I want to reach. It's about the population um, that I want to cover and speak on. It's always about someone else. And I honestly believe that that's a key. um, That's that's really something for people to really think about. You know, when you are going in search of the right questions, is it about your Mercedes bill being paid or you keeping your mortgage or is it about other entrepreneurs keeping their mortgage, other entrepreneurs being able to maintain their bills, you know, and continue to thrive. So I started thinking about it. And again, if my business was not online at the time, so boom, pandemic, hello, when $1.2 billion, the first six months of being quarantined was generated on the internet. Right. From people seeking courses and, you know, just purchasing things online, bo- online boutiques. They were spending money. So I said, everybody's not broke. Hello. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just like, hey, wake up, Angelica. <laughs> everybody's right. not broke out here. So I was just like, I'm so focused on the ones who are in a position where I once was. So now I'm going to focus on the ones who are not so much in position. They still have a safety net. They still have a savings. They have the finances to invest in change and in repositioning themselves. So there were a lot of central workers, you know, and my hat go off to essential workers during this time, just like our nurses, our RNs, those in the medical field who have worked nonstop you know, I salute them because this has not been easy and they have truly been on the front lines. Um, and with virtual education, I was just like, okay, the kids are in school. So why isn't my business virtual? Right. And immediately I was just like, 
how can I how can I go virtual and be able to help others and help myself? So that's when the 30-day university gave birth to the 30-day university during a pandemic. So what the 30-day university is, it is an accelerated entrepreneur program. And what you gain in the 30-day university is an intensive 30-day training, workshop, um, class course, however people want to call it. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's designed to teach new skill sets. So that you can walk away with an added stream of income to increase your family household. So, for instance, one of my professors, Charmaine Burr, she has a master's in social work. But again, her organization closed and she came to me and she was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And now they're quarantined. She attempted to return after she's laid off. And she's just like, I have to figure something out. So I had a consultation with her and I'm just like, what is it? Let's talk about your skill set. Let's talk about your role as the create as the um, executive director for the nonprofit that you worked at. Let's talk about this, your educational background. And she was really passionate about being a signing agent in a notary. Mm-hmm. And she had the certificate to like, uh, train notaries and to offer the the um the commission they call it a commission not a certification for a notary so i immediately brought her in built her signature program and for the remainder of the pandemic it has taken on a life of its own so now she's one of my coaches she now teaches um one on one notary um and then she has a part 2 which is the become a signing agent for a notary. And all of these are skill sets right, and opportunities right, right. to position yourself as an entrepreneur to add a new stream of income and to increase your household income. So another one of my professors, um, Brittany Green, she holds a master's in financial uh, finances, but she started off as a credit specialist mm-hmm. in helping people rebuild, establish their credit and understand the importance of their credit score and what it can do for them and how to use it. So now she's coming in to train those who have a a personal interest in finance and um, credit. And she's teaching the course on how to build a business, Mm -hmm. becoming a credit uh, repair specialist. So these women happen to be more educated than myself, but they were coming to me for coaching. You know, I don't have my master's. I went back right. to get my bachelor's, but in human development, my focus has always been people. Right. Because your purpose is people. Business mm-hmm. needs people. Mm-hmm. And the people need businesses. So well, my well, focus has always been business and people. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and to that point also, it's it's having the willingness to share the vision as well and, and the people around you that, that is designed for what will become attracted to the vision and they will run with the vision. And, Absolutely. you know, one of, one of the things I often say is, is that, you know, I, I've been delivered a long time ago from needing to be the smartest guy in the room. Right. Right. But But Absolutely. I am smart enough to know who needs to be sitting at the table with me. 
Uh, Because a lot of times when I cast that vision, I don't know all together how it's going to come out, but I am smart enough to know who needs to be sitting at the table with me. So, so I have this, not necessarily um, a hierarchy or ego mindset when it comes to leadership, um, but that's a process as well, too, when you transition from the ego type of leadership to the ecosystem type of leadership. You nailed it. You nailed it. Where you at the center and you just know those overlaying skill sets that you need to bring into the fold to make the vision come about. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say um, in this business space, coaching space, if you will, what are some pitfalls to, to people thinking that they need something, but it's simply not true? That's another great question. (laughs) People thinking they need something. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me address that first by saying everything that you, you need is already within you. Right. God has given us the know-how and that goes back to that nudge that just kept nudging at me. Mm -hmm. I could have easily said, I dropped out of high school. You know, I have three kids. Who's going to listen to me? But that conversation never came up. It was just like, okay, let me move forward. Let me figure this out. Let me go in search of the answers. What I don't, what you don't know, the answer is out there. Mm-hmm. You just have to go and get it. Absolutely. You have to you have to go out and get it. That may mean getting a mentor, doing the research, asking questions. And what I've found and what I what I've discovered in business and entrepreneurship, we are afraid of saying what we don't know. Right. And when you have a fear of not being truthful with yourself, you block opportunities. Opportunity could be right there, like right about to put its hand on the knob. Mm-hmm. But because you refuse help, it it backs away just that quickly. Yeah. So when I built the 30-day university in like 60 days mm-hmm. during the pandemic, And the first thing I said, what can I offer? Right. And I was just like, okay, so now what's no longer working? What's no longer selling? Let's get rid of that. The other part of it, you have to learn to get rid of what's no longer working, but that also requires an honest conversation. Mm. Sometimes in business, we get emotionally attached to things Mm. that we create, that we built, that we've had for a long time that made us a lot of money, you know, at one point we're afraid to let go Mm -hmm. because we built it. But sometimes you either let it go or it crumbles, which one you want. Right. Absolutely. And the best thing to do is to let it go. So I decided to let go of what wasn't working and then recreate. I would stay up at my desk in my office And again, I had to move from an uh, office building and donate my dining room set to a church Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then (laughs) purchase a table and turn my dining room into an office. Right. There was no time to waste. Yeah. So sometimes it, it, yeah, it's, it's oftentimes is knowing when as a leader, 
is knowing when to abandon the ship. And, and, and to your point, sometimes we hold on to things that we built, but but even as the captain of the ship, if, if the ship is going down, you're gonna take sure, everybody with you. <laughs> hey, make sure, yeah, you know, make sure all your people get off safely, right. you know, and then you abandon the ship. Um, but yeah, it's it's knowing when to shift, if you will, and to focus on from not necessarily what once was, but what is. What is and, and what could be. Right, absolutely. absolutely. So yeah. I did a quick research and I was just like in my mind. And I said that curriculum building, mm-hmm. that organization paid me a thousand dollars to build that curriculum. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote and designed my own curriculum and the pilots. I added curriculum design to the 30-day university. I added educational development programming to the university. So these are all new things that I have used and built that I was I was not even utilizing. So now we are having a lot of organizations that want to target marriages, you know, the marital issues during a pandemic to to discuss work with youth, you know, who are no longer out being social, you know, um, everything has pretty much caused us to, you know, be with within our population and our culture and our community, meaning your immediate family members. You're not really being social and connected and different things like that. So I'm just like, you can build an online uh, curriculum that touches, touch bases on all of these things. You know, so building curriculum does not have to end here. Kids are still, you know, going to be kids and they're going to lean to chaos. You know, they're going to find themselves getting in trouble. So there's an opportunity for curriculum there. Um, Domestic violence has increased since the pandemic. If you're a person who have experienced and gone through it, you can write and design a curriculum for domestic violence that touches on issues on how to overcome it. And how to face it when, you know, when it's not easy. You know, a lot of women don't want to admit to their truth. But you can do this online virtually. It's almost like in private. You don't have to do these circle, these group circle things, these sort of group dynamics where, you know, your face it's out. Your name is out. Hi, my name is Angelica. I'm a domestic violent victim. You know, you don't have to do those things. People can purchase the course online and go through the curriculum in private. Right. So it opened so many doors of opportunity. So the next one I did was turn your book into a business. I was able to turn divorce and poverty into a business. It was no longer just about selling the books. It was about, I was the face of poverty. Right. I was the the one who was sought out. You know, if you had a topic on poverty, at-risk youth, I was that girl. I was that face. How did I make that happen? So now I immediately developed curriculum to teach others how to brand yourself and how to turn your book into a business. So those are the courses in which I teach under the 30-Day University. But hiring other coaches who happened to be my clients at one point and bringing them in, they know what I stood for. They know what I stand for. I have a young lady who's a a nurse, an RN, and she's a CNA trainer. So we're working right now to develop her curriculum because all of the students under the 30-day university receive textbooks. And they are published 
um, by each of the facilitator professors. We call ourselves professors. Anytime you're involved in higher education, I never thought in a million years that I would be <laughs> a professor. But you know, right. again, I don't ask for permission. Build my own yeah. university. Call Absolutely. Professor. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> a dean of students. <laughs> That's it, right? Absolutely. Yes. So listen, let's shift a little bit. Let's shift a little bit towards the book. So I think you talked about that a little bit already, but sort of let's talk a little bit more about the inspiration for the book, Divorce poverty? Yes. My mentor told me, he said, once he said, once you can get people to hear you to speak, mm-hmm. he, he said the next thing to challenge yourself to see if they'll pay to hear you speak. That's where my lunch and learns derived from. And he said, once they'll pay to hear you speak, he said, your next step is to publish mm-hmm. a book around the topic that you're known for. And I was just like, okay, so he gave me a three-step process. You want to speak? Yes. Okay, so start speaking. Find ways to speak. I did that. Find ways to get paid to speak. I did that. Publish your book around that in which you speak about divorce and poverty. So divorce and poverty is an insert about my life. Um, And I didn't write it because I didn't want to be this author that just talked about her journey being in the projects and, you know, lay the brick by brick of my life. I didn't want to do that. Poverty is not an attractive topic. So I wanted to make it interesting enough that anyone could read it. So I thought to myself, again, go in search of these ask yourself questions to get answers. So I was just like, how can I tell this story that it's not limited to those experiencing poverty and it's attractive to those who've never experienced it? So that's where the word divorce came from. (laughs) So a lot of people were like divorce and poverty, you know? Um, And I had that title three years before Mm -hmm. because I would write down different titles. So I wrote the book as a love story. And that is how God gave it to me, to write it as a love story, to begin attracting the individuals that I needed to attract. So in writing Divorce and Poverty, I told it as a love story where poverty is a character, hope is a character, purpose is a character. They're all characters in the book. And then there's myself. So I talked about the arranged marriage, being married to poverty, how Mm -hmm. abusive poverty was. how poverty did not help me and, you know, how it would talk down to me, belittle me at times and try to constantly reminding me that I would never be anything, that it was no possibility of me ever becoming anything. So that was the character of poverty. But then I ended up meeting hope and hope was something new to me. Hope was the character that I ended up falling in love with. And I started cheating on poverty with hope and everything about hope. Everything about hope was attractive to me. It made me believe in myself. I felt better when I was with hope than I've ever felt while I was with poverty, you know? And then in this relationship, every time I would find myself going back to poverty, hope did not, it never got upset with me. It was just like, I know it's going to be hard for you to break, but I'm going to be right here. I'm not going to leave. I'll be right here waiting for you because you deserve better. 
And I'm going to be here to give you better. So I'm with hope. And then I'm, I'm pulling slowly, pulling myself away from poverty. And then I get bold enough to step out with hope. And I'm just like, I'm done with you, poverty, no more. <laughs> and that's when I go back to school to get my degree. That's wonderful. And poverty would show up in the parking lot of my school and just oh, tell me, wow. you're never going to be anything. You have three kids from three different baby fathers. You're never going to be anything. You know, all of this is just a dream. You need to come on back home. And hope is just standing there. Hope never said anything. Hmm. It was just the presence of hope that I needed. Right. I right, needed right. the presence to help me go through this. And then we ended up giving birth to purpose. Hope and I had a child and it's purpose. Wow. And wow. purpose is what you see me do today. <laughs> That's wonderful. That is that's certainly wonderful. And hey, thank you for, you know, sort of sharing that story with us, uh, you know, today. You know, one of the things I often say is that, you know, we all have a story. Our story is our story, but you, you certainly have to be willing to tell your story because you never know how the world will respond to your story. And your story may be the story that changed the trajectory of life of someone for the rest of their life. And I'm sure that this book is changing a, a lot of lives. So Angelica, wh where can we, you know, purchase the book where it's available? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I self-published everything. So you can go to my website at seedsoandsister.com and you can purchase the book um, and check out my services and just learn more about me and uh, my team at the 30 Day University. Certainly. So, Angelica, you know, a huge part of this show is about, you know, positive winning mindsets, about being resilient and, you know, that demonstrated mental toughness in learning to face adversity all while continue to lead, live, win and inspire uh, at the next level of achievement is what I often say. And so I believe, you know, you truly embody what this show is all about. And I certainly thank you for you know, your transparency and, and sharing that with us today. So, you know, what can we expect to see from you and your team in 2021? Oh, big things are happening. I'm already, you know, um, I'm, already, <laughs> I'm already in the lab, you can say, you know. Yeah, um, right. You know, publishing, my goal is to take it all the way to the top because one of the things about beautiful books is you don't have to have a PhD to have a story to share. You don't have to have a master's degree to have gone through something and learned how to overcome it and to teach someone else. So that's what makes my beautiful books publishing so beautiful is that it could be anyone. You could become an author and I, I'm working with a, a lady right now who suffers from ADHD, adult ADHD, and she was so afraid of writing a book because she couldn't get her thoughts on paper. But me being her ghostwriter, mm -hmm. it, it has allowed her to become a published author. Another high school dropout mom, we did a project on the diary of diary of single mothers. I launched that this year on as an ebook and I brought in aspiring authors who were single mothers who had stories to tell. So I gave each one of them a chapter prompt to write about like um the importance of child support. Right. Do we get it? 
do we do we go after it or do we just let it go you know and these women told from their own personal um stories and they had never been authors never aspired to be authors I did three group projects this year. We also launched the Voices of Depression and Anxiety because the pandemic really, really took a toll on individuals who uh, struggle with depression and anxiety. You know, being quarantined, not being able to be social um, and out and about, it really took a toll. So I brought in, again, aspiring authors from all walks Mm -hmm. of life to share their journey about battling anxiety and depression and their coping mechanisms and things that they have learned to implement that has helped them, including myself. So we all collaborated in that project. And Vincent, if you don't mind, I want to just share this really quick, mm-hmm. that this pandemic is has offered an opportunity of collaborations. Absolutely. If at one point there was a point where you could do things on your own and you could be successful to a certain limit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about just a team. I'm talking about collaborations, a collective effort to help bring and pull people up. Absolutely. That is what this pandemic is about. Um, And when you find it in your business, in your heart, in the opportunities that you search to do this, you're going to find a wealth of opportunity. Absolutely. A wealth of opportunity. So I had women who, again, high school dropouts, still don't have diplomas, who are now grandmothers, who participated in these collaborative efforts, and they had to write their stories, but it was okay because myself and the editor had your back. We're going to make sure that we mold your story that you sound and look professional. Right. And that, that then opened up opportunity for them to believe in themselves Mm -hmm. who are now working towards becoming an author and sharing their, their, another part of their story, you know, changing their lives from being imprisoned, um, changing their lives. One young lady, she has four young adult male sons who started penetrating the system as early as eight years old. They spent most of their childhood and young adult life incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And she told her story in the diary of single mothers. And Vincent, when I tell you, I had to put her story down and call her on the phone and tell her you have a gift to write. Yes. There's some spelling grammar issues, but let you have a very unique way of sharing your story. Right. There's a writer in you. And she broke down and she started crying. And she's just like, I can't believe you would take the time to call me to tell me that. I was so impressed with her story. She, and how she laid it out. And everybody can't do that. There are writers who, who have published multiple books. And I was just like, listen, young lady, and she's, she's currently homeless right now. So the other part of 2021, we are looking for our sponsors to uh, come in and sponsor their 30 day university. So th- to sponsor a student, to sponsor an engaged learner, someone who wants to change their life, someone who may have messed up in the past, but has an opportunity at entrepreneurship. 
Absolutely. So uh, I- that's something that we're looking to do. And we're super excited about that. So I'm putting all the pieces together so we can put that in place and bring key players in. So we can, again, it's about the people. It's about the people. So to have to sponsor this young lady and to see her life change and to say, hey, my organization, my company, our nonprofit, our agency, you know, took part in helping someone change their life for the better. That's absolutely Right. I think it's uh, I think it's a spot on when you said an opportunity to um, to collaborate and then more importantly is is to facilitate the process or help set the conditions that's conducive to someone changing their life. You know, because I, I do believe that the greatest thing that there ever is or was or will be is it's not how you start is how you finish. And I, and I believe that. Um, I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. So, Angelica, once again, you know, before we go, how can people connect with you, some of the things you're doing, again, either online or through social media? Well, I am Angelica Cole on Facebook. That's where the bulk of my audience is. I built mm-hmm. everything on Facebook. And I'm now learning different platforms. I'm utilizing my LinkedIn more because now I have a focus for LinkedIn before I really didn't. It was just mm-hmm. uh, my professional professional platform for facilitation and training and speaking. Mm -hmm. Now I have a different focus for LinkedIn. So I'm, you know, allowing people to get to know me, the, the person, the woman, the brand, my mission, my vision, and, um, my future goals and in hopes of getting people on board with, you know, eradicating poverty. Yes. Breaking the chains of priority, shutting it down. <laughs> That's right. Even in the midst of a pandemic, right? Um, right. Because, you know, to that point before we go, um, you mentioned a lot about knowing when to pivot, how to pivot, and about positioning yourself. So at some point in time, uh, you know, when, when it's all said and done at the end of the day, had you did the necessary work to position yourself. And I think that's critical. It's critical and and very key. Yes. Yes. So critical. If you follow me, you'll see, I talk a lot about multiple streams of income. I talk a lot about one income source is not going to do it. That we cannot wait on a stimulus check. That's right. Absolutely. And wait for someone else to take care of us. Mm -hmm. We are responsible for us. We are responsible for us as as the human race. We are responsible for us as parents. We're responsible for us as a community. We are responsible for us as a culture Mm -hmm. of people. You know, so we're responsible for, you know, each other and for humanity as humanity, for um, humanity. So it's just like, you have to do away with waiting for someone to save you and save yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Angelica, Hey, thank you once again for joining us today. And it certainly has been a pleasure and and we look forward to seeing and hearing from you more. So please come back and check on us soon. I definitely will. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to everyone who listened and just to, 
take the time to hear my story and my journey and my testimony. Um, I really appreciate it. It was absolutely fun. I'm on the opposite end. I spent five years in radio and I haven't been back due to COVID. So everything has been about now pushing my brand and I'm just grateful for the opportunity. The, the will, the, I shifted again. So now I'm on the opposite side of the seat. I'm normally where you are, Vincent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, again, I certainly look to uh, meeting you once again and maybe we can, as you said um, earlier, opportunities to collaborate and to show host some of this, right? Uh, to bring some, uh, some value um, you know, to those folks out there. So we we look forward to to hear more from you. Absolutely. And I would love the opportunity. You asked some amazing questions that had never been proposed to me before. So yes, <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you again. Absolutely. So thanks everyone for staying with us. We certainly hope that you enjoyed today's episode. So make sure you join our Facebook group out front with Vince Noble. And don't forget to comment, rate, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download or listen to your podcast. Until next time, remember, you still get to write your own life story.
there's a there's a bit of uncomfortableness that I that I feel when someone refers to me as a leader because I believe, at least in my own mind, on whatever level that I'm on, am I measuring up to that? Right? Because in most instances, I get phone calls all the time. Hey, uh, I'm in a le- I, I'm a leader now, mm-hmm. and I go, Oh, really? Um, because just because you're in a leadership position doesn't mean you're a leader. It's what, leadership is what you do. Mm-hmm. And so by being a leader, leaders are readers and readers are leaders. I've always made it my business, even outside of those circles, uh, what, when it wasn't forced upon me to constantly be um, an avid reader um, on both the art and science of leadership. And you gave oh, yeah. some phenomenal books there. You gave some phenomenal books. Um, so my next question would be, um, how has a failure or apparent failure uh, set you up for later success? Absolutely. And you know, oftentimes le- leaders are not that transparent. Yeah. Right. But, but I believe the greatest value, even as a leader is in your transparency. And so I say, I would say that to say there's some, there's some favorite, I call my favorite failures mm-hmm. because some of my favorite failures and how I overcame, mm-hmm. they turned out to be my greatest successes. I have yeah. to always talk about them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I had so many of them, but I, I would tell you one. And, and uh, again, it's, it's, it's military related because that's what I, but I, and, and we both got a friend, uh, by the name of Sutan A. Muhammad. And I've been knowing him mm-hmm. for a long time. I've been getting my head bust by him for a long time, but I would tell you, he, one of my, my mentors, but I would never, ever forget this because this thing almost led to be an international situation and truly was. So not to, you know, you know, talk strictly military or tell what we did, but, you know, I was a first sergeant in a quartermaster company and we was downrange in Iraq and, you know, I had a fuel point and we would have these foreigners bring uh, fuel uh, and dump the fuel out at, at my fuel farms. Well, one of the TTPs that my guys had that I wasn't aware of is that when they, when they, when they, the foreigners didn't act right, they would take their passports <laughs> and that would it, it make them act right. And, and so that they wouldn't do certain things because they weren't supposed to be smoking around the fuel tanks and stuff like that. Well, long story short, let's just say that a, a passport came up missing hmm. and, uh, and it happened during a shift change and nobody knew where the passport was. And now I got to go see uh, Sutan A. Muhammad. And uh, I'll never forget the words that came out of his mouth. He said we were systematically dysfunctional <laughs> and we get ready to start an international incident. Hmm. From that point on, I realized that no matter how much I trust my people and what I think, I still need to be I still need to be checking our systems. I need to still I, I still need to understand what's going on within the organization and what don't get checked don't get done. And so it, I mean uh it, 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 it from that sit down and having that conversation with him that day, I learned that hey, you know what? I got to be just a little bit more involved than what I've been doing. I didn't got complacent and I don't allow some things to happen that I shouldn't. And 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 that's a, that's the other thing that I've learned with my failures, especially as a leader. You know, a lot of leaders like to to capitalize when they soldiers su- succeed at something, 
But when they soldiers mess up or whatever, then they just want to put the blame on the soldiers and they don't take credit for the failures either. So one of the things that I have learned is with that, with my so my soldiers, they don't fail. I fail them as a leader. It's something that I did that I didn't put in place. And so that type of thing has stayed with me. And that was one of the ones that I can sit back now and laugh at it. Uh, it, it was painful at that time. Man, I, I'm just, I'm like, man, I was like, man, we might as well cancel Christmas right now because this is about to be ugly. Uh, but, but we got through it. He showed me that as, as, as much as, he, you know, a lot of people w- was intimidated by him, but he also showed me some humbleness in this process as well. And he showed me how to respond and react in this situation. I was mentored from that point. Cause I, I would tell you, you hear me talk about him all the time, but we, we had an adversarial relationship at first, <laughs> a very adversarial. I used to think that he did not like me whatsoever. And it actually took me having a conversation with his first sergeant and his first sergeant said, well, look around and see who he don't talk to, mm-hmm. who he don't say stuff to. He was, he was mentoring me and I didn't even know it. I didn't even realize right. it. He was preparing right. me uh, to, to, he was preparing me to feel the bench and I didn't even know it. But when I, when it was put in a different perspective and somebody made me understand it, then guess what? I, I appreciate everything that came from. Now, the one thing that I had a conversation with him about was, Hey, you know, sometimes when you selecting people and you mentor them, it don't hurt to let them know that either. Because <laughs> you can run somebody off. And uh, from that point on, I mean, I, all our conversations have always been candid. And and, and I appreciate all the things that he had done to me as well as I, I, I have been able to give back to him. Because it was not just a take a relationship with him. He, he he ain't giving it to you if you ain't giving back. I can tell you that right now. That's the one thing I did learn from him. If I ain't learned nothing else. And I had to make sure that I was giving back because he definitely pulled a lot into me. Absolutely. And, and you know, um you know that that was a a, a defining moment um, where you really discovered that that leadership um, is what you do is not a position. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and so and so, it's, it, it, particularly for our you know our military community, it's it is there there are some um, some defining moments and some hard lessons learned uh, in in the university of hard knocks, unlike. Uh, our, our civilian counterparts, and so um, you know, m- much of we learn um, by our level of of, of engagement uh, each each and every day. But you know, leadership it's it's, it's certainly um, it's it's not the position, but it but it's certainly uh, what you do in your level of, of engagement each and every day. Mm-hmm. So so my next question I would ask you is, is sort of. What 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 have been in the last five years? Would you say, um, you know, the number one mindset change, if you will, that that has changed your life in the last five years? Embracing social media hmm. <laughs> and not looking at it as a, a bad thing, but a good thing. Uh, even though it's a lot of negativity and, and stuff that go on with it, uh, but again, you get out of it what you put into it. And mm-hmm. uh, what I saw, especially within the last five years, as I was transitioning out of the military, that was the that was what was going on. I mean, we started, and even as you see now, uh, embracing social media and technology. But you, look, we having all these Zoom meetings, and I, I was I used to be that guy that I, I hated emails. 
I'm just going to be honest. I disliked emails. I didn't like texting. I didn't like any of that stuff because I grew up in an era where, you know, we had a little green book that we got from the supply room and everything that I needed to know was right there. But when I started embracing technology, utilizing some of these apps and, uh, uh, and, and things like that, I found that I had more time on my hands to plan and, and do stuff better. I was more efficient uh, by embracing social media. I can get the word out a whole lot more. Than I could just, you know, by talking to one or two people. And I, and, I, and I think that some of my peers, some of my partners that are still out there, some of them are lacking because of that. They, they weren't willing to change and they, they, they haven't been willing to embrace it. And, uh, and they look at it as a bad thing, but I actually look at, uh, look at it as a good thing. And so that, if that was the one thing that changed me in the last five years is embracing social media and technology because we didn't have it when we first came in. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Um, you know, you have you have a lot of individuals that um um that that will that will voice the fact that um they they certainly don't they don't even like to check email. Mm-hmm. Um they don't they don't like to communicate, they don't even they don't like to use any of the the the, the platforms. So so from a global perspective, just if you would think about it, even now, um you know, geographically being dispersed, and, and we're we're able to, um, you know, engage in this show remotely yep. uh, by using uh, digital platforms that now is available to us, um, and, and to be able to to distribute that um, in a way where it, it could touch, uh, you know, thousands. And so, if you put that into context. Um, that ought to give you more motivation, even more to really figure out ways as leaders figure out ways to um, maximize um, digital platforms and services to be more impactful and do the things that they do uh, each and every day. So my final question would be, what advice would you give to a smart driven person um, that's about to enter to his first leadership position and, you know, uh, what advice would you give him and what advice would you tell them to ignore? Oh, so, you know, I'm always one of those guys that like to end on a good note. So let me start with the, the stuff, uh, <laughs> what to ignore. First of all, ignore those voices in your head that tell you that you're not, you're not capable of doing this. A lot of times the biggest struggle that many of us have is the one that's inside of us. Uh, we, 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 we tell ourselves that we can't do this and we tell ourselves that we can't do that. It's amazing if you turn that can to a can, what you can do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that would be the first thing that I would tell them to do. I would also tell them not try, don't try to be like somebody else. Be you. Don't, don't try to be something that you're not. It's, it's hard. It's already hard enough being yourself. It's even harder trying to be some, something that you're not or trying to be somebody uh, else. So be you. If you're not a hollower, or, or, or don't be a hollower. If you, if, if you, if you, uh, I mean, as a leader, you you can still be a a, a person that is a, a introvert, but still have some extrovert qualities because you have to. You got to talk to your people, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you're not one of those people that's out front and all this, don't try to do it because you're gonna be exposed uh, eventually. Uh, mm-hmm. What I would tell a first time per- person in a leadership position is. Be a listener. Uh, be humble. Uh, do not forget where you came from. Don't get caught up in the title because the same title you had today can be gone tomorrow. Uh, 
remember to be a servant leader because a lot of times people think that when they get into a leadership position, now it's time people starting to work for them. No, matter of fact, that's where the work really comes for you. Uh, because at the at the end of the day, as a leader, you are developing other leaders. You're developing future leaders, So, which means it requires some work on your part. And so if you go into it with that, you remain humble. Uh, don't allow pride to get in the way. When there's something that you don't know, you ask questions and be a good listener. Everything else will fall into place because, uh, as you know, uh, you get better with leadership as as or, or as you said, don't like to really use the word leadership, but you get better as you experience more things and and mm-hmm. and, and be exposed to more things. And so, uh, and and I just tell them to enjoy the ride. Take care of your people, and your people will take care of you. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I, I always say is that uh, as you enter into a le- a particular leadership position, it is that now is your 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 the real opportunity. It's for you to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we make the mistake of, of thinking that we have arrived. I'm a leader, right? <laughs> and it's not, it's, it's not now you steal your opportunity to continue to grow and to evolve. I know as a leader, no matter what, what level you find yourself on, because the next level is going to require a much different you. Mm-hmm. Right? And you have to be prepared for that. So before we go, how can people connect with you? Uh, some of the things you're doing, either online or through social media. All right, so, hey, Vince, look, you know, I'm I'm on Facebook. Uh, I go live every day, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, on Facebook. People can either, you know, send me a friend request on Facebook. I also uh, have started touching on my podcast. I actually gonna go full force on my podcast uh, at the first of the year, but I've already put some stuff out there. So I'm on all. Uh, uh, podcast platforms to include Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, my the name of my podcast is "Don't Talk About It, Be About It." That has been my mantra uh, the majority of my career. So all you gotta do is type in uh, "Don't Talk About It, Be About It," or look for Garrett Griffin on any one of your podcast uh, platforms, and you can find me. Absolutely, that's wonderful. So hey, Garrett, thanks once again for joining us today. It has certainly been a pleasure. And we look forward to seeing and hearing uh, more from you. So please come back and check on us soon. Most definitely. Thanks, everyone, for staying with us today. We certainly hope that you enjoyed today's episode. So make sure you join our Facebook group, Out Front with Vince Noble. And don't forget to comment, rate, share, and subscribe to Apple Podcasts or wherever you download or listen to your podcast. Until next time, remember you still get to write your own life story.